Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Bwery, and as always, I'm with one of the leading experts on foreshocks, Dr. Lucy Jones. Thanks to all the listeners who've stepped up to support this podcast over the last year. You can, too, by joining as a sponsor of the nonprofit Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Please go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search Dr. Lucy Jones. And now, let's get to it. Every interview I have heard you give after an earthquake, Lucy, the reporters, the journalists always want to know, does this mean something else is coming? Is this a foreshock? People really want to know what things mean and if there's a clue of what might happen next. We all want to know what's coming. The most basic of human emotions, in spite of the rumors, scientists are humans too. I think most seismologists have dreamt of being able to predict an earthquake. This goes back to that basic human need for patterns that help us survive. Lucy, you've started your research career trying to find the patterns in foreshocks. Yeah, you know, I started at MIT after having studied physics and Chinese as an undergraduate. And in 1976, I went and interviewed there and the guy who became my thesis advisor said, hey, there was just an earthquake in China with over 500 foreshocks. If China ever opens up, this was during the Cultural Revolution, we could send you over. How about we get you studying foreshocks now? We keep saying foreshocks in the intro, in, in what you just said three or four times. Let's actually take a step back. Can you define what a foreshock is? Answering this question was actually part of my thesis there at MIT. The answer is actually a little unsatisfying. A foreshock is an earthquake that precedes a bigger quake close enough in time and space that they are statistically correlated. The way we started on this was to look before the big earthquakes and see what was there. And we found that many of them, about half of the big earthquakes were preceded by some small earthquakes in a very short period of time. My first couple of papers were just taking those data sets and trying to characterize what the foreshocks were like. And we found that there were some places on the earth that had foreshocks quite often, some places that seemed to never have them. And we found that the smaller earthquake could be a lot smaller than the main shock or sometimes almost as big as the main shock. Has anybody else been studying this? Why did you decide to pursue it? Well, at the time, I came into seismology just as the first computerized catalogs were being developed. And if you want to answer these sort of questions, you need to have a big data set. You need to be able to say these earthquakes had foreshocks and these ones didn't. You just needed to have a lot of data. So the first global seismic network was put in to monitor the nuclear test ban treaty in the 1960s. And then when I started graduate school in the late 70s, we were just starting to have enough data to really be able to do something with it. And besides preceding a later identified main shock, what else can foreshocks do in the sequence? And can you only tell by looking back after it happens? That's the question we were trying to answer by looking at the Haichung foreshocks, the ones in China that I did finally go over in 1979 and study. There were finally enough events that we could start seeing what was happening physically on the fault. And what we found there was that the foreshocks actually delayed the main shocks. The stress changes on the fault caused by the foreshocks made the main shock less likely to happen. It's like the foreshock was going to be the main shock, but got stuck and held up for a few hours. Is that true of all foreshocks? Unfortunately not. 
studying foreshocks has shown all the variability that we see in all the other earthquakes. Sometimes they delay the main shock, sometimes they encourage it. We keep on coming back to the result that there's nothing different about foreshocks. With all this information about foreshocks, how can people actually use this information? Just because some earthquakes have foreshocks, that doesn't mean that every earthquake will, so it could be confusing. Well, right. And actually, this is what we came to realize. I sat out there in Massachusetts looking before the big earthquakes, trying to understand what they were. When I came to California, an earthquake happened and I was asked, what's next? And we didn't know. And I realized that all the research on foreshocks had assumed we knew about the main shock, because when you go to study it afterwards, you have that information. Before the main shock happens, you have a completely different problem. There had been some things that we'd seen in the foreshocks that seemed suggestive. For instance, foreshock sequence, or if you will, the aftershocks of the foreshock, often seemed very tight. They occurred extremely close together in space. So we asked, does having a very small aftershock zone make an earthquake more likely to be a foreshock? But I couldn't answer that question until I asked, how likely is any earthquake to be a foreshock? So my first paper out of Pasadena was one of the simplest I've ever written. I just counted all the earthquakes in the California catalog and determined what percentage were followed by something bigger. Okay, keeping us in suspense, what did that show? What did it tell us? The answer was 6% in California. And that answer was independent of the magnitude of the potential foreshock, which was something of a surprise to us. Every earthquake, no matter what, seems to have a 6% chance of being followed by something bigger. So when we experience an earthquake that isn't damaging, but scares us, how should we react to what might happen next? Well, there's a couple other things we found. We found that the most likely time for the main shock was immediately after the foreshock. One quarter of all those foreshocks were within one hour of their main shock. By the time you get to a day after the potential foreshock, your continuing chance of having any more events is down to like 1%. By the time you get out to three or four days, most of the risk is completely gone. In fact, the timing of the main shock after foreshocks look just like the timing of aftershocks after a main shock, dying off with time very quickly. And that led us to ask the question, is there anything different in a main shock after a foreshock as opposed to an aftershock after a main shock? There's a distribution of magnitudes in aftershocks. And we artificially cut it off at the magnitude of the main shock just by defining something as an aftershock. If we said an aftershock could be bigger than the main shock, what does that look like? And what it looked like is like the foreshocks we are actually having. So we've got a null hypothesis that a foreshock is just a main shock that happened to have a big aftershock. And that null hypothesis has never been disproved and is really the best that we can do right now. So have we ever seen a foreshock for a main shock that's bigger come at some distance beyond a couple days? I mean, just like aftershocks, we know that you can have a big aftershock a month, a year, even a couple of years later from the largest earthquakes. Is the reverse true with foreshock? Yes, just like in aftershocks, there's a long tail to the distribution. And we've essentially just agreed to only use the word foreshock if it's within a few days. Sometimes we use three days, sometimes up to a week that we will call it a foreshock. And then we'll use the word pre-shock if it takes longer than that, 
because now your overall probabilities are not getting so obviously different because of the occurrence of this earthquake. But for longtime Californians, if you think back, in 1992, we had the Landers earthquake, a magnitude 7.3. Two months before that, we'd had a magnitude 6.1 Joshua Tree earthquake. And with the advantage of knowing that Landers happened, we look back and say, that's really part of the same sequence. But we usually call it a pre-shock rather than a foreshock, just because the probabilities are lower. Understanding that foreshocks are earthquakes that are followed by something bigger in a constricted time frame and within a limited distance. We should know that there's no expectation that something bigger will happen, but it could. It's like a one in 20 chance. So it's less likely that it will, but it is still possible. Right. When any earthquake happens, you've increased the chance of having another, but it is still a small chance. We also need to remember that the increased chance is only at the location of the first earthquake. It doesn't apply 100 miles away. So let's leave it there for now about four shocks. And until next time, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you getting through it. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a supporter at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones. <laughs>